Good morning. Uh, our scripture is Psalm 123 and 124. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Lord, we can say that, those of us who have received you as our Savior and Lord, we have escaped and we're safe in your arms. Lord, we praise you. We pray that uh, this whole hour will be to your glory and honor. Help us know more about you. Help us to love you more. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have your copy of the scriptures. Thank you, Judy. Open up to Psalm 123. We'll, uh, we'll look at 123 and 124 today. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be a, a bummer, but uh, um, the world... I, is full of trouble. Uh, that is always true. It feels particularly true right now, doesn't it? That there is just enough trouble to go around. Um, there, of course, is war, and there's always war. But <clears throat> right now, with war in Israel, we all feel it. We, I was, you know, I've been talking with people, and it doesn't it feel a little bit like? War in Israel is like, uh, I've been hearing about this land my whole life. Like, I know these cities. My, I was a little boy hearing Bible stories about that place. And, and, and so it feels, you know, more personal somehow. And, and um, you know, there's, there's political conflict every day. I, I've, I've not checked the news one day and, and seen, ah, they worked it out. Everybody's getting along now. Um, we're all going to be okay. Not once. There's, there's political conflict um, o over any number of things. I'm, I'm sure. Anybody else just dreading the next 12 months of election cycle and just like, oh, I just don't know if I have it in me again. It was, 
It's been hard the last couple times. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I might, just, I'm, I might just die for no particular reason. Just I can't take it. Inflation. What a bummer. $6 for one gallon of gas. Holy smoke. That's crazy. Are you feeling it too? Housing costs are difficult. The world seems like it is falling apart, doesn't it? Like entropy will finally win. You remember what entropy is, right? Entropy is that, you know, Newton gave us this idea that things naturally dissolve to disorder and chaos. And you look around and go, yeah, that feels like what, uh, what is happening around us. But even having said that, so many of the problems that I just mentioned they kind of bring a dull and a familiar ache to my heart because we've been hearing about these things my whole life. War in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Yeah, that's, we've heard that before. I'm, I, it's, it hasn't gone away. Conflicts in, in Asia, pol- politicians arguing, financial crisis. It's been our whole lives, hasn't it? There are, of course, also crises in your personal life. It doesn't take national or international news to go, wow, trouble seems to be everywhere. That entropy feels personal. Things aren't tove. Do you remember the word tove? It's my favorite word. When, when uh, God created the world and the first couple chapters of Genesis, he created uh, everything on day one and said, that's tove. Everything on day two, that's tove. That, it means good, but not good like, hey, beautiful, wonderful. Rather, it's like it all works. Like there's no conflict. It's very related to the idea of shalom. Like tov means everything is working as it's supposed to be working. Is the world tov? Is your life tov? So few times. I'm getting really old and there haven't been tov times. And speaking as a pastor who loves you, and I really do, and I really love Seaside, and really all I want to talk about is the goodness of the gospel. There's another side to all of the the non-toveness around that that hurts in another way, and and that's that all this stuff pulls us apart too. It it wrecks friendships and, and marriages and... Um, churches and there's the out there lack of tove and then there's the personal kind of lack of tove but then there's that interpersonal even in myself it's the way that all of this external stuff pulls friends apart that breaks my heart most and it seems like there's very public forces trying to pull us apart the impact of all these difficulties, the, the impact all these difficulties have on us and our friendships and our relationships are, are even greater than the impact we can have on them. Like we could argue all day long and be like, wow, that was really the perfect tweet. I'm sure I just solved all the problems. And it seems like the impact I have on the world is just not as much as the impact the world has on us. And As the people of God, I'm not sure we're always good at knowing how to respond to trouble. What do we do with trouble? Because it's not going away. And I hope if 
the introduction has been a bummer, the conclusion is very hopeful. But you and I are going to have to, at some point, mature into the point where we know how to deal with trouble. Because the trouble we know right now is the trouble we know right now. But you and I both know that a year from now, there will be trouble that we can't even anticipate right now. What do we do with trouble? Trouble in the world, trouble in our personal lives. Because if we give worldly troubles too much attention, they consume us, they, they mess up the best parts of our lives, they mess up our relationship with the Lord and with each other. But if we ignore worldly troubles, they mess up our lives in another way. Surely we aren't supposed to all just head for the hills and ignore everything that's going on. That's where the Psalms are so helpful. In particular, the Psalms that we're looking at today, Psalm 123 and 124, our pilgrim is considering the trouble in the world and teaching us how we might respond to trouble in the world. As a reminder, we're in the middle of the Songs of Ascent, those 15 psalms starting in 120 and going to 134. And remember, these are holiday songs. These are supposed to be sung on the journey from somewhere far away from Jerusalem up to Jerusalem. They're things that you would, they're road trip songs. The things you sing on the way to grandma's house at Christmas time. They're as the, the, the caravan from your town is going to the feast for the holiday to worship at the temple. These were the songs that the pilgrims sung. And these two songs are the kinds of conversations you have on the road. As you get away from the everyday life, and I don't know about you, but Tiffany and I have some of our best conversations, like on the way home from vacation. Like you go, oh, you got that, oh, remember that, oh yeah, that other thing. We'd never have that kind of time to work stuff out. These are these kind of songs. So I want to deal with both of these psalms today. They feel very different, and they are very different, but they provide us with two different ways to deal with trouble. If there is trouble that is burdening you, please turn to these two psalms. They're not two different options, but rather they are two attitudes that every Christian needs to be pursuing all the time. Two attitudes that Christian maturity will bring. The big idea for this morning is simply this. The proper way to deal with the mess of the world is with lament and gratitude. Not rage, not anger, but lament and gratitude. As we grow in Christian maturity, we'll grow away from conflict with others. Instead of learning how to really be winning in conflict, we will grow away from conflict. We will go grow away from separation, from division. At least I know as we learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, we will grow in love and joy and peace and self-control and patience and kindness and goodness. How we grow is with songs like this, songs of lament, songs of gratitude. So let's start with lament. We're going to talk about lament and the songs of ascent a few times because there are a few laments in here. And the first thing I would like to point out 
is that in, do you have your copy of the scriptures in front of you? You're looking at Psalm 123, that the first line is singular. To you, I lift my eyes. So this is something that one pilgrim is singing. This, this person is, is using a first person pronoun, oh, you who are enthroned in heavens. And then the rest of it is plural. Behold, as the eyes of the servant look, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. This is how we pray for the trouble in our world. Lord, I am putting my eyes on you and then praying collectively for our people. So I'd like to look at kind of the first and the fourth verses in this, the, the kind of how it starts and how it ends, and then let's look at the middle. So the first thing you'll notice is that lament is telling the honest truth about what we are feeling. Now, we are pretty good at telling the honest truth about who we think is wrong. That's not hard for us, but it is harder for us to tell God how we're actually feeling. It's easy to go, God, they're the bad guy. It's harder to go, to God, I'm hurting. But this psalmist isn't going to do that. To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in heaven. Look at verse 4. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. I love that we are allowed to turn our eyes to heaven and go, God, I've had enough. Lament is not an accusation at the bad guys. Rather, it is telling God about the, how the state of the world makes you feel. Don't neglect the deep soul searching that leads to lines like, God, I have had enough. This Christian is how to pray. And what has our pilgrim had enough of? The scorn of those who are at ease and the contempt of the proud. Well, how does that come up? As he's walking on this journey, in fact, this is a, this is a psalm that, that probably wasn't written for this journey, but got adopted for this journey. So as we are walking to joy, the, to home, to the temple, that's when you start to go, man, I've really had enough of the scorn of people who live easy. I've had enough of the proud the contempt of the proud. What our pilgrim is realizing is that he lives in two kingdoms, and so do you. We live in the kingdom of God, where it's not that might makes right, but rather it's that the blood of Jesus is enough for you and enough for me, where forgiveness and grace are the order of the day. But we spend so much of our time with money being king, and power being the thing, and beauty, and strong, and handsome, and the nicest car, and all of those things. Do you ever, in times of deep worship, go, God, I'm tired of living in a place where things that don't really matter seem like all anybody cares about? It's easy to kind of go on a rant when you have that feeling. It's more, it's a more Christian mature Christian perspective to take that directly to the Lord. See, we are pretty easy at lamenting at people. But I don't know that most of us have learned to lament to the Lord. My eyes are on you. I've had enough of the contempt of the proud. Our pilgrim is not only seen he feels overwhelmed by people living this worldly lifestyle around him. Do you feel that same ache? That you look around and go, man, 
I'm trying to die to myself and I'm finding joy in, in simple relationship with the Lord and yet all around me are people living selfish lives and they seem to be thriving. What's going on? What do I do about that? Well, what you do is you learn to pray like this. God, I've had it up to here. I'm all full up with the worldly lifestyles around me. I don't think it's particularly wise to spend time griping about the world. Like that's not, a, you know, let's get meat for coffee and just talk about how the world's not like it used to be and terrible and, the, you know, I don't, I don't find a lot of wisdom and help in that. But to be able to go to the Lord and go, God, I am just homesick for a place where everything makes sense. And I am full up with money and power and handsome and strong being what everybody wants. Man, have you grown the ability to pray deeply like that? I think it's great that the pilgrim in this psalm gives us permission to look to God and say, my soul has had more than enough. But what do we do with that tired soul? Like he's not just, that, that's not all that there is to. It's not just the beginning, or it's not just verse 4, but rather verse 4 is the end of, of this commitment that I think we have to grow into because I, we probably could get to that point without a whole lot of work, right? You go, okay, instead of griping on Facebook about everything that's going on in the world, I'm going to gripe to God. Okay, well, that's better than nothing. But we're not all the way there yet. Do you see how this pilgrim handles this homesick, this living in a sinful world, this living with, with wanting to live in the kingdom of God and yet having to live with the kingdom of man all around him? Instead of turning to rage, instead of turning to social media, I don't know what that would have been in you know, 500 uh, BC. Instead of turning to gossip, or instead of just suppressing feelings and not dealing with it. No, rather, he starts his psalm by saying, God, my eyes are on you. Where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? God, my eyes are on you. How does the, how does the psalmist put it? Exactly like that. To you, I lift my eyes. You remember a couple of psalms ago, these same words were there. This is what it means to journey towards God. This is what it means to journey towards home, towards the temple where it's nothing but praise, is to say at the beginning and in the middle and at the end of the pilgrimage, God, my eyes are on you. Man, each of us could just take time thinking through our day, our week, and asking, where's my attention? Because if you're hoping for joy and peace, with your attention being on God very few times in the week, it's just not going to happen. Rather, it has to be on the journey all the time. God, my eyes are on you. So he says, God, my eyes are on you. I turn my eyes towards you, for you are enthroned. And that is such 
a meaningful and, and, and important concept. God, I am putting my eyes on you, not because you're one option among many, not that that guy's choosing alcohol and that guy's choosing money and that guy's choosing lust, but I'm choosing you. You're the one. No, but rather, God, none of these other things are king. You are enthroned. None of this other stuff has power. We might be giving trouble too much credit. We might look around and go, ah, the world's a mess. Yeah, but turn your eyes on God. The world has been a mess and it's going to be a mess, but God is still on his throne. It might not be right to ignore worldly trouble, but it's wrong to enthrone worldly trouble. Are you with me? It's wrong to say that is in charge. It's wrong to serve worldly trouble, to make that be what controls our mood, what be controls our behavior. The trouble is not king. The trouble is trouble, but God is enthroned. It's not wrong to acknowledge worldly trouble, but it's wrong to live in light of our worldly troubles. They might be powerful enemies, but they are not king. I wonder if you could think of just in your mind, imagine whatever you think a king. If you've got like, a, like a, an Old Testament looking king in your mind or a, or a medieval king in your mind or whatever, sitting on his throne surrounded by just might and power and then there's individual attackers coming to attack and you go, man, when I look at the attackers, I can get really worried. But when I look at the might of the king, I find peace. Where are your eyes this week? As we go through the next year and the election cycle, and as we go through bad laws getting passed, and as we go through people hurting, and as you have real trouble in your lives, and where are your eyes? He says, not only, my God, I've turned my eyes to you, or you are enthroned, but he says, you are enthroned in heaven. And in heaven doesn't mean like a faraway place that doesn't have anything to do with earth. Rather, it's an acknowledgement <coughs> that where God is, that's my home. God, you are enthroned in heaven. I'm a member, I'm a citizen of your kingdom. Like I'm going to be on earth for another, what do you call it, 30 years, 40 years. I'm going to be in the kingdom of God for eternity. God, you are real. You, the reality of you and your power and your might, that's the truth. All this other stuff comes and goes. God, you are not only enthroned, you are enthroned in heaven in a way that the troubles of earth can't touch it. And then, in the middle of this prayer of Psalm 123, there's this absolute, like, what comes to your mind as, as you read this? Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes, and again, plural, it's one person talking, but it's a, a community lament, a community song. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. What does that mean to you? As a servant looks to his master. You know, we are pretty independent. Us American thinkers. 
We don't like the idea of having a master at all. I'm nobody's servant. I'm my own master. But that's not really practical in light of eternity. How does a, a servant look to a master? How does a maidservant look to her mistress? How in total submission? And look, so our pilgrim is responding to the troubles of the world with complete and total submission to God. And I'm here to say that's not smart if God's not good. And part of why this is a maturing psalm is because you get to this and you have to ask yourself, and I can't believe for you, you have to really say, is God good enough? Is God powerful enough? Is God strong enough? Are these just songs that we sing or do we really mean that his love endures forever? Do we really mean that it's like cannons in the sky is just the power, like that God truly is supreme in the universe? If that is true, then give yourself completely to him. If it's not true, don't. This is only as wise as God is good to say my eyes are on you like a maidservant to her mistress, like a servant to his master. Whatever you say, I will do. Total submission to a tyrant is a death sentence. And really, that's what submitting to anything but God is, is looking at money, power, lust, alcohol, relationships, family, and going, oh, I'm going to totally submit to you. That's never going to work. It's never going to produce love, peace, or joy. It is only as we go, God, you're enthroned in heaven. I'm going to look to you like a servant looks to his master. I'm totally submitted to you and you alone. When you get to the place that you've had enough, when you get to the place that you just can't look at the news anymore, when you get to the place where one more conversation with that family member and, and you're just never coming out of it, it's just too much. When you get to the place where the, the, you know, the diagnosis or the news or whatever it is that's happening in your life is just too much, man, what do you do? You either solve the problem yourself or you say, God, my eyes are on you. You're enthroned in heaven, and I am totally submitted to you. And then the psalm, verse 3 in the psalm says, Have mercy on us, O Lord. And isn't mercy just an incredible thing to pray at this time? It's not give us victory. It's not solve everything. Rather, it's Lord have mercy on us. And you know the thing about mercy is it's an acknowledgement that you don't deserve it. Mercy is saying, God, would you just save us even though we have not earned that salvation? God, you are the king. I'm looking to you and you alone. I'm submitting completely to you. God, I know I haven't earned your favor. I haven't earned your love. But God, would you have mercy? mercy on us. God, be merciful to us. And as it is an admission that we deserve trouble, but that God can save us even from our own flaws. What a prayer to at the same time go, God, I am growing weary of living in this world full of trouble. But instead of praying, God, would you please 
uh, you know, lightning strikes over there, fire and brimstone over here, a good pointed plague over there. Instead of that, say, God, would you show me mercy? God, I, I deserve trouble, but you have given me grace. That's a prayer of faith. I think we more naturally respond to trouble with either misery or anger. Would you go to Psalm 123 to learn to pray when there's trouble? And then there's Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, Man, I think we need to deal with these on the same Sunday because they're so different, but they are both huge parts of a mature Christian prayer life. These are the songs that we should be singing. There are times when lament is absolutely appropriate. But let me ask you, even in times when lament is appropriate, is God good? Do you have reasons to say thank you? Is there a place for both lament and gratitude in the same heart. Look, guys, if God hasn't been faithful, then go ahead and be honest about it. Has God let us down? Has God not been there? None of us want to worship an ineffectual God. If we don't have reason to trust God, if we don't have reason to sing praise, if we don't have reason to say thank you, then not only let's not do it, but forget Psalm 123 too. Let's not bring him our trouble. But guys, if God is faithful, if we can trust him, if there is real reason to give thanks, then thanksgiving and gratitude and praise must not be ignored. I don't think our prayer life typically involves enough lament, and I don't think our prayer life typically involves enough gratitude. And mature Christian prayer involves both lament, God, I'm tired of this, would you please give us mercy, and also God, if it wasn't for you, where would we be? Because, of course, the world is full of trouble, but our past is full of God's goodness. Don't you love the way this psalm starts? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. We're told in the superscription here that this is a psalm of David. Hear this in David's writing. So David is a long time before these pilgrims would have been walking to Jerusalem, but this is a song that David wrote that, that was appropriate for a pilgrim to sing on the way to Jerusalem. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept away. Israel never felt like the biggest, strongest nation. It was always the only thing that has ever worked for us is trusting God. But as we have trusted God, He has saved us time and time and time and time again. You know, I wonder even, since this is a, a psalm of David, 
I wonder what incidents in David's life he's thinking of. And I don't have reason to, to, to know for sure one or the other, but could you just dream with me a little bit and say, what if he's referring to those early victories against the Philistines? Do you remember when David is very small? He's a shepherd. He's probably a strapping young dude, but he's not going to beat up the Philistine army all by himself. He's not even going to beat up Goliath by himself. And you remember the whole thing that he goes to Saul and goes, hey, aren't we Israel? Why are we worried about these pagan Philistines? Aren't we the people of God? Won't God take care of us? Man, guys, as we look at the trouble of our world, how helpful would it be for us to go, doesn't God love us? Aren't we the people of Jesus? Aren't we going to be okay? Didn't Paul write that neither height nor depth nor anything in the whole world, not death, not life, nothing could separate us from the love of God? Isn't that us? And why are we freaking out? Why are we lashing out? Why are we using anger? And why are we giving in to sin? So I wonder if David has in mind him out there with a sling facing mighty Goliath. And kind of going, look at verse 2 again. Read it with me. If it had not been the Lord was on our side, when the people rose up against, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Man, I'll tell you what. The Philistines would have just flooded us. We had no shot except God. And when you have no shot except to trust in the Lord, that's not a bad place to be. And then David turns to praise and he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. You know, I actually sat down to give an example of this this week and I was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to tell the church, like, hey, here's things in the Combs life that we look back on and go, man, if it wasn't for God, quite frankly, they're too personal for Sunday morning. Do you have a list? If it wasn't for God, where would you be? If it wasn't for Jesus. You know, if you have a Bible, flip over to Romans 5. Because I bet there are stories in your life that you could tell, man, if it wasn't for God, I would have been swept away. If it wasn't for God, I'd still be stuck in that addiction. If it wasn't for God, I'd still be stuck in that relationship. If it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for God, this marriage would have ended. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have ever found peace. If it wasn't for God, there wouldn't be any joy in my life. I bet you have stories like that. And the encouragement of the day is not to, to realize you have stories like that. The encouragement of the day is this is how to respond to trouble. When there's trouble in the world, what Christians do is go, look what God has done in the past. I can trust him for the future. But aside from just your personal story, because it could be that you're in a dark spot right now, and you go, as I sit here right now, I would have a hard time making that list. I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I can't. I'm sure God has done stuff in my life, but right now, as I sit here, I just can't write that list. I can't remember. The, the dark walls are just too high around me right now. Well, if you're in a place where you can't remember it in your life, would you remember it in our lives collectively? 
Would you remember what Paul says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 6? Did I say Ephesians? I meant Romans. It is so encouraging that you guys are paying that much attention. I didn't see that coming. If it wasn't for the Lord. So verse 6 of Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, if this, was, if this was a Bible study with high schoolers, I'd go circle the things that apply to you. Weak and ungodly. When you, when we, as a species, when me, as an individual, had nothing to offer but weakness and ungodliness, Christ died for the ungodly. Guys, where would we be without Jesus? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare uh, even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you have any proof that God loves you? Do you have any proof that God can be trusted? Do you have any proof that even though you walk, through a dark valley right now, there is no need to fear any evil because God is with you. Do you have reasons to trust God? Do you have reasons to continue to pilgrim towards Jerusalem? Do you have reasons to even in the middle of the, uh, a culture that denies God and, and, and makes laws that break our heart and, 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 and has nothing but like you know, anger and malice on, on social media, do you have reason to instead of give in to that, to joyfully and peacefully respond to the troubles in the world by keeping your eyes on Jesus who is enthroned in heaven? But God showed his love for us and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by His blood. You've been justified by the blood of Jesus. You are going to get to the end of your life if you are in Christ and be pronounced innocent. Do you deserve that? No, the mercy of God has overwhelmed you. The grace of God that you did not deserve, earn, or really have the common sense to ask for has changed your life, Christian. What trouble are we going to really worry about? What would be enough that we would lash out in anger? What would be enough that we would give up hope? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Yours is not the story of death and dying. Yours is the story of life and salvation. No matter what trouble there is and no matter where there's a war, and no matter how bad the laws get, yours is the story of life and salvation because of the blood of Christ. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If it wasn't for Jesus, then the troubles of the world would be too much. If it wasn't for Jesus, then the troubles of your life would be more than you can handle. If, the, if it wasn't for Jesus, the, the temptations that you've given into would define you. But that is not what defines you. You are defined by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. You can tell how much you love something by what you're willing to give up for it. And God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. How do you respond to trouble? How do you respond when you get to the point where you've just had enough living in a place where the things the culture cares about don't make sense compared to the scriptures at all? How do you deal with trouble in your life when, when financial burdens and relational burdens and, and they seem overwhelming? How do you do it? You do, do you respond with fear? Do you respond with anger? Or have you learned how to bring lament to the Lord and learn how even in that valley to live a life of gratitude? Lament and gratitude, Christian. These are the songs that we sing when there's trouble around. And we keep moving towards Jesus. The pilgrim keeps singing and walking towards Jerusalem. I'm sure there are troubles in your life. I'm sure that there are um, national news things that, that burden you more than others. And I'm sure that there are places in your life where you're, there's reason for fear and there's reason for you know, regret. Man, even right now, could you be a person who takes those and is able to say, God, in light of you being the king on the throne, my eyes are going to turn towards you and I'm going to pray for mercy. Would you save me? And I'm going to remember that Jesus, if it wasn't for you, I'd be dangling over the flames of hell. But instead, my story is a story of life and of salvation and of reconciliation. Would you bow your head and would you just take a private minute of prayer? And if there has been, if there have been things in your life, maybe even this morning, this week, where you have responded with anger, with fear, with lashing out, would you just acknowledge that before God? And I wonder if you might, whatever your picture of God enthroned might be, if you would put that picture of God in His holiness, train of His robe filling the temple, Maybe you're thinking about the radiance we see in Revelation around the throne of Jesus. And would you, with a deep breath, 
sing the words of the psalmist in your heart. Lord, my eyes are going to look at you. I turn my eyes to you. Lord, we repent of the worry and the fear that naturally comes in our hearts and instead we turn our eyes to you and we say, Lord, we know it's with joy and rejoicing in our hearts that we say, without you, Jesus, where would we be? But Lord, you will love us still. You will hang on to us. And we can have peace. We can have joy, whatever the troubles of the world are, if our eyes are on you. Man, I wonder with, your, with everybody still just in a time of prayer, if I might just ask, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you, you haven't said, God, I'm looking to you. Jesus, I'm looking to you like a, like a slave looks to his master, like a servant to her mistress. Lord, I am going to follow you. Be a Christian. If you are here and you are not a child of God, you aren't saved, today would be a great day for you to say, God, thank you for sending your son to die. I repent of my sins. I want to walk with you. Today would be a great day to give your life to Jesus. And you could do that in the quiet of your heart now. God, I repent of my sins. I'm going to die to myself. And I'm going to follow you. Heavenly Father, if it wasn't for you, where would we be? Lord, I think about the ways you've sustained the Combs family. I think about the ways you've sustained Lighthouse. God, where would we be without you? I think of the, of the way that, that, you know, our sin would consume us, what the sin of other people would consume us. Lord, where would we be without you? Lord, would you teach us to deal with the troubles of the world, not with fear and not with anger and not with lashing out, but rather just constantly reminding ourselves, oh, in Christ we have life. We are reconciled to you. The blood of Jesus is enough for all of this stuff. Lord, help us to grow in love and joy and peace and help us to grow in kindness. Help us to grow in goodness. Help us to grow in patience and self-control. God, would you help us to be more like you as we keep our eyes on you. Teach us to repent of the worldly attitudes that cause hate and fear and anger. And Lord, fill us with the gratitude that brings peace. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.